incredibly difficult time getting uh, professional medical people in. You'll recall early on we offered to have America's finest experts travel there to assist them, to assist the World Health Organization. Uh, we weren't permitted in. Uh, these are the kind of things that the Chinese Communist Party has done that have put the world and the world's people at risk. They haven't been sufficiently transparent. And the risk, Sean, that you find, if we don't get this right, if we don't get to the bottom of this, is this could, uh, this could be something that's repeatable. Maybe not in this form, maybe not in this way, but transparency matters. And that was Secretary of State Mike Pompeo talking to my good friend Sean Hannity uh, on his show on Fox News. And this is very serious because for us as Americans, we didn't think about how something like this would expose many of our national security flaws. I mean, we go about our daily lives. I know you and me, we've got children, I've got a household. I'm not, I'm thinking, okay, antibiotics are always gonna be there. I'm thinking my doctor's always gonna have access to medical equipment and supplies. I'm not even thinking about where it's coming from. I'm just thinking it's there, right? It's like going to a grocery store. How many of you, I mean, I can tell you, I was stunned. I know Jenny, Jenny Tear, who works with me, and she also writes on SarahCarter.com. And I talked to Adam, the Looch, and he's on here, the producer for this show. And oh, by the way, I'm just going to let you all know that we are all doing this from our various homes. So I'm at home right now here in Virginia. Adam's at his home in Virginia. And Jenny's at her place in Washington, D.C. So we're doing this. Um, new technology allows us to do the podcast. Uh, even though we're close, we are very far apart. But I want to go back to this moment when I went into the grocery store and I noticed aisles and aisles of missing uh, groceries. Even like toilet paper, that was the first thing to go. I was stunned. I was like, what is going on with the toilet paper here? Toilet paper, paper towels, uh, you know, in, I, and Jenny, I don't know if you can come on the line right now, but I remember when you went to Trader Joe's a few days ago and you were walking uh, down the aisle and you took video and everything in the frozen section was completely gone. And this is uh, perishable foods. Right. The frozen section, every vegetable and fruit gone. It was just, it was empty. You even said it reminded you of what? Pictures from Venezuela, right? Right. It, well, they, folks, it looks like it, socialism. Yes. It, we, we're so used to having so much because we live in such a great country. We live in such an incredible nation that we don't think about what happens when we don't have it? What happens when we can't get access to our supplies? And what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said, the, the statement that he made about China is right on the money. You know, President Trump, from the very beginning, even before he was president, this was one of his biggest pet peeves, one of his biggest issues was that China controlled the manufacturing. And of course, of course, a lot of companies go to China. It's cheaper there. They, they save more money, they say. You know, then they can bring it here, and it's cheaper here when we buy it. But what about national security issues? Did anyone for one second in the government think, huh, 
maybe not such a good idea to have China manufacturing over 90% of our antibiotics. We need that. Antibiotics keep people alive. They do. At the hospitals, what do we do with secondary? You know, people have said, oh, but COVID-19, you can't treat it with antibiotics. No, true. That's very true because it's a virus and you got to fight your way through it. But it does treat secondary effects of COVID-19. So there can be secondary issues that doctors are dealing with where you have to have antibiotics. Just the mere threat that China threatens to push back or pull away our antibiotics should be eyes wide open, right? And today we have a really special guest, someone who I really admire. Uh, again, he's a congressional member, uh, Republican, but some people say, whoa, libertarian, because he is uh, he's new to Congress, 2018, and that's Congressman Denver Riggleman. And he is here. He's a Virginia congressman, but he's extraordinarily smart, um, particularly when he's talking about small business and the effects that the COVID-19 virus is going to have on the everyday American, you and me. Small business owners, employees of small businesses. I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, my daughter, Sophia, one of her close friends, uh, works as a waitress in Maryland. And she is, you know, uh, that's her livelihood right now as she pays her way through college. And it's, you know, it's tough. She counts on tips. She counts on making money to pay her rent, to buy her stuff. She called my daughter and she was in tears because, of course, she's not working. She's not making any money. She doesn't know what to do. She's just a young girl working at a restaurant, trying to make ends meet, trying to go to college, trying to pay her bills, and now she has no idea what she's going to do. Congressman Riggleman talks about this. He talks about what Congress is doing right now, what they're trying to do. He also talks about some of the potential big problems that they are trying to solve now uh, at the very beginning of this uh, you know, epidemic. For, well, for us, the pandemic I would say since the president announced the 15 days, I believe this is in our third day. So the White House is actually, you know, 15 days to slow the spread. That was actually three days ago that the president made this announcement. We're in day three right now. And I'll go through the list of what you need to do. But that doesn't take away the fact that as small business owners, we are we're really struggling. What's going to come next? Who is going to help us? What about all the people that have been laid off? A lot of people have been laid off in the last few days. What happens to them? What happens when you try to get your money from the government, but you can't even file the application because the uh, website's not working for you? We're going to talk a little bit about this. These are issues, believe me, that Congress is going to be struggling through because the one thing we know that affects our congressional members and our lawmakers up on Capitol Hill is their direct constituents. So how their constituents are feeling about this, um, because as Congressman Riggleman told me, and by the way, it was interesting. We were doing, you know, the interview. We, I, I was hoping it would just work. I, I, I did. I actually didn't have a lot of faith. I wasn't sure. It's not that I didn't have faith in Adam 
Adam can pretty much make anything happen. Yeah, this is all from my home studio, folks. We are routing people (laughs) from all over the place. Just a big win for TTR Studios, Studio A. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's a huge win for TTR. But I... You know, I was, I was, I really wanted to have someone on that could really discuss these topics with you directly and somebody who would be able to speak frankly about them, not try to, you know, sugarcoat them, not try to make it, uh, you know, don't worry about it, happy go lucky, but somebody who would just lay out the facts. And Congressman Riggleman did that. And he did that in such a way that, I mean, I, I was just like, wow, you need to be like, I, I want to see him on the House Intelligence Committee. That's where I'd like to see him. Sarah, he I'd has like a cool way of talking, doesn't he? Where he doesn't really just like sound like a congressman. He just sounds like an everyday dude. Yeah, he sounds like an everyday dude with all the facts, right? He's there. He's got the facts. He's just and he's taking and and he and you understand it when he's talking to you. You understand what he's saying, and he's telling you, "Look, I'm I'm a small businessman too. I have a company too." I know what it's like. We had to, you know, stop buying products. We, you know, there is a chain reaction. People are getting laid off in Virginia. I found that fascinating, that whole whole chain reaction. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but that whole part of this interview coming up where he's talking about the different tiers of how this is affecting people. uh, It's a really interesting listen. It really is. And it, it, it tells us that we are in a situation that if not handled correctly by our government, and yes, by us, we have to be calm. We have to think things through. How do we, you know, how do we keep going? How do we mitigate any future problems? How do we keep our businesses alive and afloat in a time like this, where we are trying to stop, we are trying to slow down, and and hopefully, hopefully find a vaccine for this pandemic, this COVID-19 virus, um, which came out of China. And let's just be frank, let's not sit here and try to play around with words. There's nothing racist about that. In fact, can we please play that clip of President Trump uh, responding to a reporter who is trying to, I, I think in a way, uh, well, she's asking a question. A lot of people were upset because, you know, of President Trump calling it a Chinese virus or or pointing or the Wuhan virus. And we've seen a lot of people that uh, try to make it political and say, no, you're that you can't say that it's racist. Let's let's listen to President Trump's response on that. That's clip two, Adam. Okay. Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? There are reports of dozens of incidents of bias against Chinese Americans in this country. Your own aide, Secretary Azar, says he does not use this term. He says ethnicity does not cause the virus. Why do you keep using this? Because it comes from China. It's not racist at all. No, not at all. It comes from China. That's why comes from China. I you want to be accurate. Yeah, please, John. Please. I have the great. I have great love uh, for all of the people from our country. But uh, as you know, China tried to say at one point, maybe this stuff now, that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. The, he's one hundred percent right on. The Chinese are experts at propaganda. They have tried to penetrate our Department of Defense multiple times. Even right now, we've got people hacking, doing all kinds of subversive 
uh, actions against the United States in this time of need. And the president is right to call it what it is. It is a virus that emanated from China, from the Wuhan province that we do not have a lot of answers to. And let's just go back to what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said at the top of the show, right? What he told my good friend Sean Hannity. He was talking about how China is utilizing this as a weapon against us. He was talking about how China did not allow doctors that we offered, we offered to help in the beginning of this crisis. Let us send our best to you. Let's find out what's going on. No, 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 no. China doesn't want that. And let's not forget, we can't trust anything that's coming out of China. Look, there's a story right now in the Hill, and it's all across, you know, I'm sure a ton, this is the, the Hill.com. It's China reports no new coronavirus cases in Wuhan. Guess what? I don't believe that. I don't even know if I should believe that. I don't know what to believe coming out of China because China has lied. The communist government of China has covered up over and over and over again for everything from the very beginning of this crisis. This crisis could have been mitigated. You know, one thing I do agree with everybody on is that a virus is a virus. It, it emanates from a particular country, but it's not that country's fault per se when the virus exists there, just like if it would have existed here. But how we respond to it is our responsibility. And it was China's responsibility when the virus showed up in Wuhan province, whether that was from a bio level four facility lab or whether if it was from the marketplace uh, of exotic animals or whatever we're hearing, um, whether that came from the bio lab or from uh, natural occurrences, China should have been on board right away going straight to the United States, straight to the World Health Organization, to the CDC, doing everything it could to mitigate the spread of this virus, and it chose not to. And in fact, a number of Chinese uh, journalists and citizen journalists have disappeared. They just, you know, they started to report the truth, and then we never heard from them again. And now China is expelled. A number of our of foreign reporters, those from the Wall Street Journal, the Associated Press, Reuters, and others, out of China. So China is just pushing propaganda. So when I see this story, China reports no new coronavirus, case, coronavirus cases in Wuhan, I think to myself, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I didn't go to China, and this is what I do for a living. I spent my career traveling to other places in the world to find out the truth. So if I can't go to China... And if I can't see what's going on in Wuhan province, I don't believe it. And what about all the mass graves? We saw the same thing in Iran. We've seen the same thing in China. We see, you know, issues where uh, right now the CDC and even out of Italy. And by the way, I've been in communication day in and day out over the last few days with a reporter in Italy talking about what's going on in Italy and there have been an increase of young people. Hey, millennials out there, if you're listening to me, this is not just targeting the elderly. We know now that this virus can put young people in the ICU unit. We don't know what viruses do and how they decide to change. It's a virus wants to survive. 
right? So sometimes the virus becomes weaker because it doesn't want its host to die because then it has no place to go unless it can jump into something else that'll keep it alive. So sometimes the virus gets weaker. Sometimes the virus strains are stronger. And those are the strains that we need to worry about. And that's what doctors are talking about. Now, is there a new virus strain or is this the same virus strain? Is it that like Congressman Riggleman said during my interview with him, which you will be hearing coming up, is it the fact that millennials are just like, hey, we're not gonna get sick, so let's all hang out together, right? Let's just hang out together and now the virus is spreading more through, uh, you know, through younger people. Now, I want to go back really quick before we get to the interview, and I want to go over some important uh, things that I promised I would. You know, 15 days, the president's coronavirus guidelines for America. I want to go over those really quickly. We have 15 days to slow the spread. They want you to listen and they want you to follow the directions of your state and local authorities. So if you live in the state of California, follow those directions. If you live in the a city of San Francisco, and they're telling you not to go out just for groceries and for medication. Just listen to them and do that. Just do that for right now. It's horrible, I know. As a mom, I'm in the house with my child right now because all the schools in my area are closed. So just like other parents, we have to take over. By the way, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you to all the school teachers out there who are listening. You are amazing because I can't do what you can do. We are trying really hard with our daughter and I feel like I'm failing. My daughter just, either she's gonna become a genius or she's just laughing at me, but uh, she decided to read um, American Constitutional Law, which was one of my college books uh, to my husband. And um, since my husband's blind, he was like, "I is this a book like, one that your teacher recommended. It's like, we're so confused. Sarah, have, you made, so it, confused. have you made a daily schedule yet? I mean, what are you guys doing there? Yeah, we did. We do make a daily schedule. So Annalise basically has a packet that her teacher um, uh, put together for all of the students in her second grade class. And we have, you know, Monday, Tuesday, we do our math. So she basically, think about how awesome this is. She basically spent her entire time on uh, the weekend, this past weekend, putting together packets for all the parents with weekly schedules of exactly what your child should be learning. And she put the um, assignment sheets together and stapled them. So that way, Annalise, when we sit down with her, we know, okay, this is math assignment 102. This is math assignment 103. This is 104. And this is on Wednesday. So we go through all of her classes. And um, because she goes to a Catholic school, we have uh, different packets for religion, different packets for English, math, uh, you know, and PE. And I actually saw her PE teacher uh, the other day when I went to pick up her packet. And so I, I feel like the school and I feel very fortunate. It's a small school. Uh, and so I'm in good communication with her teachers and email communication. So I feel like we're getting the best of the best right now for her being at home. But it's tough. You know, it's hard. I, I realize how important our school teachers are and how much they do for our children because I think I have one seven-year-old. She has a class of like, what, 25 seven-year-olds? I mean, I don't know how you keep 25 seven-year-olds in their seats and listening and learning, but I can tell you my kid, uh, every time she comes home from school, I feel like she's she's learned so much more. Like there's never a day wasted. So I, I, give, I give kudos to my teachers and you all should too. So at least we're learning a little bit of that. But I'm, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
I want to go back to this 15 days to slow the spread. Um, so listen to your state and local authorities. If you feel if you feel sick, just stay at home. Do not go to work. Contact your medical provider. Just don't go in. If your children are sick, keep them at home. Don't send them to school. Contact your local medical provider. If someone in your household has tested positive for the coronavirus, keep the entire household at home, even if other people don't appear to be sick. They could be carriers. Do not go to work. Don't go to school and contact your local medical provider. If you're an older person, stay at home and stay away from other people. Now, I think uh, some of the small businesses in our areas have done some incredible jobs. I've seen that even Dollar Store has given special hours to the elderly. So if they need to go in, the store is closed off to everyone except for the elderly. So I thought that was really neat um, and very creative. If you are a person with a serious underlying health condition, that means you have anything, cancer, anything that could lower your immune system, you're at a cre in, uh, you are definitely at an in increased risk for exposure and for getting very ill from the coronavirus. So just stay away from other people, stay at home, order out. There's a lot of services out there right now that are helping people and family members that are working together. And I don't know, Jenny, maybe we can look up what's out there if someone doesn't have any family and they're at home. Is there any uh, type of service that's being provided to ensure that they get food at home and that someone's checking on them? That would be very interesting. I know to find Uber out. Eats right now has dropped their delivery services. Jenny, do you know if that's going to continue or if they're stopping that? Because I yeah, know restaurants they, really. They don't have any delivery fees, but there's actually, I know here in D.C., um, there's a lot of uh, local restaurants that are offering to deliver free meals to the elderly right to their homes. So they'll just like put it on their doorstep. So it's no contact delivery. Um, a lot of businesses are doing that now. Yeah, I think that's really important. And uh, I think we'll just move right into Congressman Denver Riggleman. And he was born in Virginia. He grew up in Manassas. I can't wait for you to hear him. He joined Congress in 2018. He served in the United States Air Force. And believe me, he had done an incredible job uh, in the United States Air Force. He really worked uh, with a lot of our, our top-notch special ops guys. He, he is somebody who understands terrorism, who understands uh, the intelligence community, and who really has a great grasp of what's happening overseas, as well as here on the national level. He also is a business owner. He and his wife, uh, Christine, dreamed for years of opening their own distillery. And in 2013, they built and now operate Silverback Distillery in Afton, Virginia. It's an incredible distillery. They make gin, vodka, and whiskeys. And he'll be telling you about this in the interview. But right now, uh, his wife converted the distillery into making hand sanitizer. How awesome is that? So they're doing their part to help America. And I look forward to having him on the show. Congressman Denver Riggleman, thank you so much for being with me today on the Sarah Carter Show. It would have been so nice to have you in studio, but like everyone else in America, we are we are working with our technology so that we can be together yet apart. So for everyone out there that's listening to this, all of you out there at home, we are not together in studio. I'm actually at home. Adam, my producer, is at his home. Jenny Terror is at her apartment, and Congressman Riggleman, where are you today? 
I am on 50 acres in Nelson County, Virginia, uh, the ultimate social distancing location uh, out here. <laughs> so uh, I'm on the edge of the Rockfish River uh, in my house right now. And I thought we were going to do video. And I'm like, I had it all set up. And my big deer head was actually on the wall behind me. I'm like, I don't know, should we do this today? But yeah, it's it's uh, fantastic to be here. Oh, it sounds just beautiful. If you're going to be in isolation, that sounds like where you want to be. Now, my my visual is definitely not like yours. So I am in the back cave. I am in the back cave. And what I was saying is I hope we stay alone because I have my seven-year-old daughter home uh, and my husband as well. They're rotating at his uh, work at the State Department um, so that you know, people who are doing the same job could basically not have to be in there together at the same time. So he's home as well. And I want to know what your life has been like, Congressman, uh, for the last few days since all of these changes took place. Well, I mean, part of it, um, you know, I'm in district right now. A lot of it is I'm on the small business working team with ranking member Brady for Ways and Means. Right. So a lot of that's been inputs during conference calls to what we're doing with legislation and rulemaking being on the Financial Services Committee, but I've done something else too, Sarah. I've been going around the community to businesses, now practicing my social distancing. Um, and by the <laughs> way, you know, there's a lot of alcohol businesses out here, so we feel a little safer than other people. But uh, so um, so what I'm doing is going and looking at businesses. And I already have a couple businesses that are thinking Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Um, I had one person get very emotional uh, on a massive uh, brew pub out here that after 13 years, he doesn't know if he's going to make it. He had to lay off 80% of his employees yesterday. I was there when it happened and trying to, to calm him down a little bit. And, you know, also for us, and I, and I know I got to worry about ethics, but our distillery, we've transitioned over to making hand sanitizer for emergency services and hospitals because they're out. So um, my family, my wife had an incredible idea. So they're doing production now. I was just on a call with uh, Patrick McHenry, the ranking member on financial services, going over the new treasury um, issues that we're doing with the um, with the sector loans that we're looking at. Right. And uh, so it's been nonstop. I, I'm taking between three and four hundred texts and calls a day, um, probably 80 to 100 emails back and forth. I'm talking about separate threads, just trying to keep up on things, Sarah. And and, you know, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, I got a family, I got two pregnant daughters, so I'm keeping them, you know, isolated and uh, in their areas in, in Massanutten, Virginia, and one in Poconos, Pennsylvania, running our second distillery there. And our companies have been shut down uh, in Pennsylvania, so we're trying to make it through that. So I probably have a better on-the-ground um, idea of what's happening than anybody in Congress right now with small business. And the only other person I can think of who's going through it is a Democrat, and uh, David Trone, who owns Total Wine. I talked to him today, and it is just brutal. So um, it's uh, it's everybody's trying to make it and come together as Americans, but there certainly is a, a lot of stress out there right now. There is. I can tell you, and I'm so grateful to have you on the show today because there are so many Americans, so many people like you and I. I'm I, I am also a small business owner, and I you know I operate as a contractor. So I talk to people in my community, and I was here in Virginia, um, in Alexandria, talking to folks and some of the local uh, small businesses in my area, and people are terrified they are going to lose their business. They feel that they just don't understand what's going on. They understand that Congress has passed all these incredible packages, that the president says they're going to back them up on this. 
but they're wondering how can I make my next paycheck? What's going to happen next? Am I going to be able to keep my business afloat if this lasts two to four to six weeks? We just don't even know. Uh, what do you think can happen between now and then to kind of soothe those nerves or is this just kind of an experiment happening? Well, right now, you know, you're looking at all these tranches and, and you're right. You see Congress doing this legislating. The issue is, is how does that legislation and money turn into an expedited process for business owners, right, Sarah? How does this, how do, not only for business owners, but how about for employees? How does this tranching work? You know, as we have phase one, phase two, and phase three right now, phase one mm -hmm. was 8.3 billion, phase two was HR 61, I'm trying to I'm, I'm losing 6201 or whatever. That was our 42 billion. Now we're looking at a trillion dollar phase three program, which I'm working through right now. So we have got to get the information out. And I'll give you an example small business interruption loans, $300 billion, right? Through the SBA disaster uh, preparedness loan guide, right? You go online, it's mm -hmm. easy to click a button, right? Go through the application process. Well, guess what? SBA does not have the counties loaded yet to get those loans. So you can't even get past like the ninth or 10th screen because it says your county doesn't actually qualify because COVID-19 hasn't been listed as an emergency yet. So even though it's been done in the states like Virginia, transitioning all that data to the bureaucracy and then having the bureaucracy move has been very difficult. And, you know, government's just this huge thing, Sarah. So the issue mm -hmm. is- It's a machine. Forth. It's a machine. And I'm trying to figure out that myself because we're asking all Americans to stay in for two weeks. So even if their area is not a ground zero or a cluster of COVID-19, they're trying to prevent that. But Americans aren't doing what we normally do, which is go out and spend our money and get to the grocery store and go out to dinners. And when restaurants shut down um, and, or when people are not frequenting these local businesses or even some of the major players like Home Depot or any you know of our other major businesses um, in the United States, those businesses suffer and the people suffer. But if we if we're not if we're not giving it to equal access to everyone, uh, especially with small business, I mean, what's next? What happens to those other people that are outside of those cluster zones? Yeah, and that's the thing is that and, and if they're outside of that and you have a one size fits all sort of strategy, that's the issue is the government's going to try to kill, kill a mosquito with a sledgehammer. And um, <laughs> that makes it very difficult, right, for for people to flex based on regional issues. And I'll give you another one. And since I'm on the ground, you ready for this one? So yep. Virginia says no businesses can have over 10 people in there at a time. So there's a little bar that's about 400 square feet, 500 square feet, can only fit 10 or 15 people. They don't care. But how about if you have an establishment that can fit, which I was talking to yesterday, 650 people, right? They have an upstairs, a downstairs, and outside. Can we have square footage mitigation for these huge businesses that have maybe 90 employees and he had to lay off, you know, 70 of them. So um, why can we have mitigation? Can we have a regional plan instead of a one size fits all plan for each state or for the country? How do we do this? And I think that's that's where I come in. Right. I'm like, OK, you guys talked about mandated sick leave. What about forced shutdowns? Now we have the small business um, interruption loans. Right. You guys talk mm -hmm. about only 10 people. Why don't we have square footage mitigation areas or regional areas where you can have, say, 10 every five or 600 square feet? I'm just I'm riffing right now on, on what we can do here. But why aren't we looking at we can listen, 
This is an incredibly almost impossible situation. But as we get the data, let's flex real time and give people some options as they go forward to try to save their companies and keep their family healthy. Absolutely. So where does that start? How would you take some of these ideas to the Hill and put them into action? And is anyone listening? How do you feel that the White House is doing as well with their response to this? I, I want to hear what we can do to make people feel better, to get those changes done, to move things forward. First is, you know, and I know this is crazy, but it's paying attention to media and people like you. You're getting the information out there. And that you have an incredibly important role to do this. And, you know, also it's the states. You know, the states are making arbitrary decisions based on federal guidelines that could be north or south of what that guideline is, correct? Like, for instance, mm -hmm. Virginia right. is actually enforcing the 10-person rule, you know, per establishment. And I was on a call with the governor last night, and I just made a couple, you know, a couple uh, ideas. That, But here's the other thing, Sarah. Do you know? The government has shut down a lot of private hospitals from buying viral collection kits, swabs, and PPE, personal protection equipment, has to go to the government first. And now you have places like the UVA, University of Virginia Molecular Lab, they can't get the equipment to do the testing for COVID-19 because it's went to the government. So now you had this incredibly great intention program of allowing the government to buy all those materials first, but now the frontline labs can't actually get the equipment. So that was another thing I was working on yesterday. So when I talk about cascading effects, you talk about the law of unintended consequences. When you have a government this big, you're starting to see where we need to deregulate, not overregulate, and where we need to actually cut the red tape. And I think that's been something we're learning real time is how much red tape is actually in this government right now and how we have to cut through it in order to get what we need. Well, I think you brought up a really important point here because one of the biggest problems that we foresee, we didn't foresee, I don't think some people did, but not the majority of people, particularly in Congress, was with China. And now that we have this issue with COVID-19, one of the major issues is the fact that the majority, over 90% of our antibiotics, a lot of our medication, a lot of our medical equipment is manufactured in China. And the Chinese have actually made direct threats and indirect threats through their media that they will withhold medication from the United States, that they'll do certain things. We know that those supplies and those shipments are not coming here the way that they should. We're low on some of our supplies. But I think now the United States is seeing what we're taking a step back and saying, wait a minute. This is a national security issue, and I know this is something that's important to you because you are in the Air Force, you serve our country, you targeted terrorists, you're somebody that understands war. And in a sense, this is a war um, against an invisible enemy, of course, but now also we're seeing that uh, state actors like China could use this against us, particularly with the manufacturing of the majority of our medication. Yeah, and that's um, something we're looking at, too, is how do you incentivize that manufacturing or how do you incentivize that? And, and conversely, how do we say, hey, China, you do this. Uh, it's not, you know, we don't want to say it's an act of war, but it's so aggressive that we have to take measures. And I think China is saying this as sort of a, a bullying sort of gesture mm -hmm. because they've been destroyed, right? Their economy has been yeah. destroyed. Um, they got to they got to cast dispersion. They got to cast blame. And, and really what's amazing to me, it's almost like somebody hitting you in the in the face with their fist and then suing you for their knuckles being hurt. 
And, um, <laughs> you know, and I, right. So, right. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I that's like how that. I, you know, that's how I think about China. Right. And, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of China. You know, my background in the military was, um, was China, uh, when I worked for the office of secretary of defense, um, right. I know what, I know what they're capable of. And I really believe at this point that we got to be a little bit tougher on China going forward. And we have to look at manufacturing um, our own medical supplies, but specifically medication. We need to incentivize companies to come back to the U.S. so we don't rely on a country like China. And we have to be honest, not only authoritarian, but you can see how their socialist medical system collapsed almost immediately. And they had to go to extreme measures to actually uh, try to stop the spread of coronavirus. Well, and, and the fact that the Chinese from the very beginning did not were not open about what was happening, um, particularly in Wuhan province at the very beginning of the outbreak, which a lot of people consider uh, detrimental, that had they been honest, had the World Health Organization done its job as well with China, we wouldn't be in this predicament we are in today because we had no idea. And in fact, there was, uh, you know, I put it out on Twitter and a lot of other people have been referring it to where the World Health Organization at the very beginning of this was saying that it didn't appear that there was any human to human transmission of this virus, taking China's word for it. And now all of a sudden, you know, of course, we know there was. Uh, so, you know, one of the steps that the United States could take, and I think you brought this up and it's very important, is the fact that we need to bring those manufacturing, that manufacturing industry back to the United States, because that is a national security issue for us. I mean, we're just learning this now. This is this is about what's happening right now with COVID-19. But if you think about it in the scope of our future and what we could be facing in the future, I maybe even black swan events that we don't even know of, wouldn't that be important to have our manufacturing industry back here in the U.S., manufacturing our, because a lot of this stuff is created here by our great pharmaceutical companies, uh, having, you know, the antibiotics, our painkillers, our medical supplies, at least having the majority of that manufactured here. I wouldn't be surprised if there's legislation in the future that identifies certain industries as national defense assets, right? And, um, where we're going to have to ex expand the definition of these these are these are core capabilities that we have to keep within the United States and we're seeing that now this is a once in a lifetime event and uh, when you look at a pandemic there's things that you can't foresee as far as the critical touch points in the economy but also in the manufacturing sector and now when you see these cascading effects and our reliance on a specific country that really is an enemy I mean we can't and a lot of people are like well you know it's a love-hate relationship or frenemies, you know, things like that. No, right. you know, China is our number one threat. And and listen, the intelligence community has known this for some time, you know, whether it's uh, technology transfer for uh, IP, when they steal this from us, um, what, what they're doing with Belt and Road. Uh, I've been to South America, to those countries down there. I see what's going on there, what they're doing in Africa, what they're doing in Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. um, this really is something we have to address now. And I think this has... I will say this, this is awful, um, but I think our eyes are open to the reality of China during this whole process. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think you brought up something that to me, I, I, I should have happened years ago, but I'm so grateful to hear it coming from your voice right now is a national, our national defense, our national assets. What is it that we did not look at in the past that we can look at now and say, okay, wait a minute, folks. These are particular areas that we have to consider 
part of our national security of the United States. And part of that is, of course, our ability, our health care, our ability to be able to take care of our populace, to put what what President Trump would say, America first, right, uh, ahead of the other countries, but also protect us on a national level, especially if we are being isolated and and so and separated from the rest of the world. I want to bring up something that I think is really important. I wanted to get your take on it. You know, coming out of Italy, uh, and I've been talking to a journalist in Italy who's been covering uh, the COVID-19 outbreak there. It's just been horrific and really tough, uh, particularly in the province of Lombardy, uh, where they've seen escalations and the number of deaths increase uh, of people that have succumbed to COVID-19. One of the things that's been coming out of there, and then the United States right now, we're actually talking about is that it's been affecting younger people at least what we had what we had heard before was that it was just the elderly right which is bad enough or people with underlying medical conditions but now we're starting to hear that younger people are being affected and being put into the ICU does that concern you at all and uh, what do you make of that well I think younger people might not be practicing social distancing quite as much right so right I think that's part of it so um, I would say that that's something that we have to we have to tell the the younger generation right now is that hey, if you have 15 people within 10 feet, you're gonna there's a possibility of spread and contagion. So uh, I find it interesting too that um, I saw the percentages this morning, sir. I think you were talking about it's sort of um, eye popping how many people younger are getting it, and I think uh, a lot of that has to do with not following the guidelines. Um, we have a pretty big country, though. What's Italy? Uh, uh, what, 60 million? I'm trying to remember what the mm-hmm. population of Italy is. You know, we have 330, 340 million. You know, that young population, you know, just needs to be, uh, you know, follow the guidelines. And, and I think, again, that's why it's important that we're having these kind of discussions and these types of uh, – and actually you getting that message out is huge because of the, the viewership you have but also the people who listen to you. Oh, thank you so much, Congressman. Yeah, I hope they do listen, because I think a lot of young people just assumed from the beginning that, okay, we might be a carrier, but we're not going to get sick. And as long as I'm not around my elderly parents, everything's going to be fine. Uh, Obviously, that's kind of been turned up on its head. And remember, for all of you out there who are young, who, you know, are, you know, in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, who are thinking, oh, I'm not at risk here. There is information out there that people have become extraordinarily ill, so much so that these younger people have had to go to the ICU units. Now, we don't know a lot about this uh, virus, and I think that's surprising, too. Some people actually thought, Congressman, that oh, maybe we're overreacting to this. I mean, I, I still have a lot of questions about what's going on here. How do we handle this the right way? Is it going to go away in two weeks? I mean, what are your what is your I guess for you in Congress, what are you hearing from your other members? Uh, what is the worst case scenario? And then what is the best case scenario? Best case scenario is that we're we're through the curve in the next two to three months, right? Wow, right, right. into into May, into June, maybe early July. Um, best case, worst case is a year, you know, or longer. So, um, all these things we have to take into account as we go forward, and that's why we better make sure we streamline what we can for the economy now, not only for what we're facing presently, but what could happen in the future. That's why you see all the working groups and you see all the work that's going on. As far as people taking care of their family, it comes down to this. Not only do you have to take care of your family, which is your first priority, obviously, but the people around you. And 
treating people with respect right now, again, treating with respect at a social distancing level, um, but treating people with respect and trying to help others is where we need to be. And uh, that's why America needs to come together. And I was just talking to a congressional buddy of mine um, um, who's actually self-quarantined right now, Drew Ferguson, and um, talking to him this morning. And he said that there's a, a guy out there who's actually retrofitting tents, um, many, many tents with um, air conditioning, so that those t- air conditioning and heat, so that these heated and air conditioned tents can be used for mobile hospitals. And he's doing it on his own. He owns an HVAC company, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And he owns that company and he is actually giving up his time and resources and equipment, you know, to do this for free for field hospitals. And I tell you, um, I just, that's incredible. That's incredible. What a great, what a great person, what a great human being to take that time out and and the money that it's going to cost too. Oh, it's going to cost them. And, uh, that's why I think it's so fantastic what's going on. And, uh, but, uh, that's, and, and, and so even though you have an awful pandemic, I think you're going to see the best of Americans come out and that's what I'm hoping. And, and uh, I'm going to try to do my part um, to do that. Um, our, my wife is going to do her part, my family. Um, I want you to talk other. a little bit about that because we didn't talk about this. We just jumped right into COVID-19. But you understand small business. Talk a little bit about your business, about your distillery and what you do and your family. And <clears throat> Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, we make uh, vodka, gin, whiskey, bourbon um, and uh, moonshine. And, uh, so we have, we have a couple distilleries, you know, one in Virginia and we have one in the Poconos uh, in Pennsylvania. And, um, what, what we, we've been fairly successful over the last five and a half years, but what we did was we transferred our, um, we transferred our production over to hand sanitizer. So, um, you know, and that's, and that's my family wanted to do that's my wife's idea. Um, and she's an amazing lady. And I said, you know, you do what you need to do, ma'am, you know, go for it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but you know what happened to us is that I know so much about the vertical integration issues because as soon as we heard this last week, we canceled our barrel orders, our grain orders, right? We uh, canceled our bottle orders, glass orders. Uh, any, um, we canceled um, um, Centos, which does our uniforms and our our rugs and, and our and our rags and our and, our, and does our cleaning. Uh, we we did we we in, in the cascading effect of that is this: everybody I just mentioned, Sarah, they're mm-hmm. going to be hit by this issue. Right. They're not going to get the money from me. Right. So if they don't get the money from me, what are they going to do? They got to lay off people. Right. There's a cascading effect in an economy this size that we have to take into account. And 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 I saw it immediately because guess what happens to us? People don't come in. They don't spend money on distillery. Right. They don't they don't don't come buy T-shirts. They don't buy they don't buy merch. Uh, They just stop coming. Um, and guess what happens? Those who are doing our distribution stop buying our bottles too because nobody's buying their distri- distribution. So the second tier goes away. So all of a sudden, tier one, tier two, and tier three, if you have manufacturers, distributors, and 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 you have customers, every single tier gets crushed because it's exponential. So if you have ten companies in one area that stop buying supplies from say six companies, those six companies that the supplies were being bought from the ten companies, all of a sudden they're crippled. So then they got to lay off employees, and then those employees don't have money to spend in the economy. So you see this almost immediate drying up of liquidity. So right now, it's not credit's not the problem; it's liquidity. And we have to say that this isn't a recession or a depression. This is a health emergency where we voluntarily voluntarily shut down our economy in order That's to save right. lives. But with that, we got to look at the liquidity side of the equation. And now we're back to the. I think we're going to spend between three and five trillion. 
uh, based on either repo markets or uh, direct injects into the economy. I think it could be three to five trillion dollars before we're done. I think you have a point there, and I think this is the probably the most important issue next to, of course, saving lives and ensuring that Americans are safe and that this virus has an end. Hopefully they find a vaccine for it. Uh, but it's really going to be the the backbone of our nation, the economy of our country and the rest of the world, because whatever happens here is going to affect the rest of the world. And we've seen that whatever happened in you know, in China, whatever happens in Italy, whatever happens in Germany and in, in, in the United Kingdom affects our economy. We are global. And uh, but I think looking at it just from the local standpoint, just like you're talking about just here in my home state of Virginia, what we're feeling is the backlash of that. And we're not even into day five yet. We're not yeah, even and- into day five. And that's frightening. It's very frightening. And, you know, we're doing you know, we're looking at it here. You know, we have a road that averages about 12,000 cars a day at peak um, because there's 14 establishments on this road going to Wintergreen Ski Resort. It's a very popular um, sort of destination for people who want a vacation in in Virginia, Charlottesville, things like that. And even during the week, there's a lot of activity because you have so many uh, rural like agribusinesses here, whether there's breweries, distilleries, cideries, wineries, right? Um, And, you know, restaurants, Mm -hmm. you know, in this beautiful rural setting out here. I got to tell you this, Sarah, you look out there with traffic. And I would say the traffic is less than half of a normal day. And, you know, the now you're talking about gas stations. You're talking about gas. You're talking about um, you're talking about people buying frickin Twinkies. Right. Or whatever, <laughs> right. right. You're so, right. Um, so that's some of the some of the issues that we have is now what do we do with the gas? We still got Russia. We had Russia and Saudi Arabia going to, uh, you know, great timing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, with COVID-19. Right. Uh, and then we have China threatening to to withdraw supplies. We've already had cyber attacks um, at Health and Human Services. We have we have bizarre things going on in our IT infrastructure right now. So these are the kind of things that people need to realize is that be patient. I know it's hard to, but know that there's so many people trying to make sure this is mitigated. And there's nobody here that has a, a bad intention for anyone. Um, it is really the combined talent of all the staffs, um, senators, congressmen, our federal agencies, executive agencies, um, people on the ground, local government, state governments, law enforcement, fire service, you know, EMTs, um, gosh, hospital workers, uh, testing uh, sites, um, transportation companies. Everybody needs to work together. And I think if we do that, I think we're going to get through this. And, and I just I want people to be the American spirit is really hard to, to defeat. And right now I'm seeing the better side of it, not the worst side of it. Yeah, me too, Congressman. That's, I, I, I see the good side of it as well. Uh, is there any advice before I let you go for our listeners out there, for everyone out there? I know you're at home. You're feeling like me. You're feeling trapped. Uh, any advice of how we can help one another or what we can do to kind of stem this crisis uh, from your part? You know, follow the advice of health professionals. Um if you got to go out, just try not to be stupid, right? I, I think don't be stupid probably isn't uh, the best advice ever, but really that's <laughs> yeah. what it is, you know. Um, but on the other side is that if you have a small business or you're, or you're scared, you know, look at what the Small Business Administration is doing. Pay attention to media, right? See, Check the websites of your congressional leaders, state and local leaders. Check their social media. Make sure you're keeping track of the latest and reach out to the offices, right? Everybody's working in in remote locations. 
But if you email our offices, we can respond. We got a queue and we got to prioritize, but we will get to you. And um, and sometimes we're going to have to prioritize other people above yours. And sometimes you'll get the priority above other people. Just know that, for instance, I have 18 people trying to service 730,000 plus, right? That's my whole staff. Mm-hmm. So know that we're trying the best we can. And we're not just getting five or six emails a day or phone calls or texts, right? Or, or, or any type of, um, you know, request. We're getting hundreds and some days more than that. So just uh, please be patient. Uh, trust in your fellow man and men and women and uh, take care of your family. Listen to health advice and other people out here that do care and that the American spirit will prevail. That's right. The American spirit will prevail. And thank you, Congressman Riggleman, for your time today. You really have put things into perspective and you've given me a lot to think about. And by the way, folks, I will have for you on SarahACarter.com on that website, all of the websites that you can visit that we can put up there where if you're a small business owner, if you need questions answered, we'll get that information out there to you at sarahcarter.com. Again, Congressman, thank you so much. And I I welcome you back on the show. I'd love to have you back on. Anytime and uh, much love to your family. uh, And uh, it's fantastic what you're doing out there. So you keep up the great work. And again, always a pleasure talking to you. Again, Congressman Denver Riggleman, uh, he is with the 5th District of Virginia, and he is right. This is all about us working together and ensuring that each one of us does the right thing just to help each other out through this really difficult time. And I tell you, you know, the more I think about it, I mean, it is really scary. I mean, when we think, I I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat this. We don't know what's going to happen with our businesses. We don't know, uh, you know, how we're all going to handle this because this is all new to us. The way we're handling this pandemic, I mean, this is something new. We haven't seen this in modern times. Not this, our ability to target and and fight a pandemic. And uh, we've never seen the United States respond this way. So this is all new to us. That means we all got to work together. We all got to do our part. We all have to pitch in for one another. And we just need to stay calm and understand that, you know, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. This will not last forever. We are going to keep you updated on everything at the Sarah Carter Show. Uh, We are going to post as much as we can on sarahacarter.com, any kind of businesses out there, information on what to do with small business. Um, We're going to put it up there. We're going to give you links. I don't know if all those links will be working, just like Congressman Riggleman said, but we're going to put it up there so that you can, you can educate yourself and get started in the process. Remember, it's never too early to get started. Also, we'll be posting updates on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. Another thing that I don't want uh, you to forget, for those of you who watch me on YouTube, Do not fear. I will be back Monday on YouTube. We are working out the glitches. We couldn't get it up, you know, the video today, but we will have the video up on Monday uh, with a new podcast and that'll be great. And hopefully on Monday, we're going to have some good news. We're going to have better news. I'm still looking into what's happening in Italy. Um, uh, That's going to be an important story. I'll be putting that up on SarahCarter.com. Uh, hopefully within the next, uh, few days, we'll have you updated on what's going on there as well as what's happening here nationally in the United States. Uh, Adam is going to continue to work from his studio. Adam, 
You want to plug that studio again one more time? Oh, absolutely. Folks, today's show has been brought to you by TTR Studios, Studio A. And if you want to have a little bit of fun in these dark days, head over there to TTR Studios on YouTube tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm throwing a 90s power hour free of charge. Just hop on over there. I'm getting, uh, we're having some fun together for everybody who's 21 and up. Head over there to YouTube. Uh, TTR Studios, just search for it. I'll see you there. We'll be continuing on. You cannot hold us down. <laughs> I have a feeling there's alcohol involved in that. You said. I don't know what you're talking older. about. <laughs> I'll see you at eight o'clock Eastern. I, <laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be heading over to TTR Studios. That's for sure. <laughs> At, at eight o'clock Eastern. It's going to be fun. We're just, yeah, I mean, look. I'm I, sure you're going to have a great time. I'm a DJ. I'm a, I, I do a live stream over there. I do a live show about a, uh, an electric skateboard. And we're all looking for stuff to do in innovative ways. And we've talked about it in today's show that this is that's only right. going to breed new ways for people to do things. And so, you know what? We're hosting an internet party and that's what we're doing, 8 p.m. Eastern. And that'll be awesome, Adam. And for everybody out there who's stuck at home and doesn't have anything to do, you could go over and hang out with Adam tonight. And I'm sure Jenny will be there. And, and for all of you out there across the country who are like me, sitting at home trying to figure out what to do, you know, just be grateful. We live in such an amazing nation and we have such amazing people doing the job that needs to be done. Look, we're going to make it through this. You and I together, we are going to get through this. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy, but we're going to find innovative ways to make the next at least what? 12 days bearable. I think we can do that. America, I love you. Thank you. God bless you. Praying for all of us. Don't forget, visit me at sarahcarter.com or on Twitter at sarahcarterdc. Folks, we are taking the story back at the Sarah Carter Show. God bless and see you next week.